The following is a presentation of the Open Door Bible Baptist Church and Pastor Chris Tice. For more audio and video content, please check us out on the web at www.opendoornj.org. I want to invite you to join me in, in the book of Romans today, Romans chapter number 8. And I want you to look at this text with me, uh, just briefly, the first four verses um, of Romans 8. And I like how Romans 8 begins, um, but I was thinking about Christmas. Um, to many of us, Christmas has a feeling, doesn't it? There's a certain feeling that it evokes. Um, some of them have to do with our traditions and, and the way that we grew up. And uh, some of them have to be, if, if you grew up in church or religiously, uh, there's certain things that we expect to see. Um, and and I, I don't, I don't uh, ever make people feel bad for whatever their Christmas traditions or expectations are. For people that don't know Jesus, Christmas uh, is, is just a holiday. Um, and it, it's not a bad one, is it? I mean, it's, it's time to give gifts and, and, and to uh, gather with the family and friends and, and to show love uh, to each other. But, but for believers, those that are in Jesus, Christmas has, has a greater depth to us because um, Christmas is real to us. Um, it's, it's not just, you know, fantasy. You know, to, to much of the world, Christmas is full of, you know, it's a time where we shut off our minds and logic and we believe things that are just unbelievable. Um, you know, the Christmas story, Luke chapter 2, is not an unbelievable thing, although it was unbelievable that God would come to us the way that he did, that he would be born of a virgin, and, and literally that God would send himself to the creation that he made, and he existed outside of it. Think about what Romans 8 says, Romans 8, uh, verse number 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, think about this, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemn sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. How many see that verse number three? God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemns sin in the flesh. I, I think belief in the Christmas story sheds light on everything else in the Scriptures. It allows us to see that there's so much of Scripture that really, I mean, all of Scripture is really just the Christmas story to us as believers. And, and, and sometimes I think it's good for us to pause, and, and this will maybe be that kind of a message today, and do what Psalm 46.10 says, be still and know that I am God. In other, other words, just pause for a st- second, and how many know it's good for us to pause I think that's why we appreciate the holidays because it's like everything stops. You know, the shops are closed, the, you know, for the most part anyway. I, I feel bad for those that have to work uh, today. And I'm thankful for those that, you know, healthcare workers and, and folks that, that work for our benefit and help. But, but you think about everything kind of just comes to a screeching halt, you know, for a few hours for us. And, and we get to pause and we get to stop. And I, I think in many ways... For some people, 
you know, even what happened the last couple years when everything was shut down, um, in many ways, those were some of the things that people actually took away from that period of time as a positive. You know, there's some people, they just, they just decided, I'm not, I'm not going back to that office. You know, I'm just staying home. You know, I could do all this work from home. There's some people that just realized how much of their family they were missing. Um, how much of, of people and, and time with people they were missing. Because, because life just doesn't ever stop for us. But we just pause, and, and, and I think this is a good time for us to pause and let the staggering reality of Christmas sink in. And, and I think this is a good time for us to do that. That is, that our text calls us to remember this. The creator of the universe sent his son to this tiny speck called earth for him to be condemned in our place. You know, reality like this, reality before, uh, above and outside of all created reality, reality outside of the entire scope of the universe, with its countless light years and expanse, outside of all of that, outside of all that we know to be in the universe and space and time and matter, God is eternal. He existed beyond all of that, before all of that. He always was, the Bible tells us. There, there is and always has been a personal, infinite, eternal, holy God. And he is reality. He is the most real. He is the most ultimate thing. And, and, he, and I, th- I think one of the most amazing things that he ever said, we, we, we hear him say to Moses in Exodus. Think about what Moses said. Moses said, to God when God spoke to him, who should I say sent me to you? And what did God say? He simply said, I am who I am. In other words, that is to say, I have always been. I am the one that has existed before time. I am the one that has always been. We know that he wasn't just saying I am in a sense of I am. Because when Jesus said before Abraham was I am, boy, they they wanted to kill him, didn't they? Because he was saying, I am the same God that spoke to Moses from that burning bush. I am God. I am the reality of God that has always existed. Francis Schaeffer said it this way, he is the God who is there above, before, and outside of all reality. You know, think of it. Eternal reality could have been just, you know, a gas, nothing. Nothing could have existed before original reality to make it what it was. It just was. Only we discover it's not an it. Ultimately, reality is not an it. It is a person. And that is mind-boggling to think about. I am who he am, who I am. In other words, we don't create him. We don't define him. We don't counsel him. We don't help him. We don't enrich him. We don't initiate anything with him. He reveals himself. As Hebrews 11 tells us, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to what? Our fathers by the prophets, but in those last days, he what? He has spoken to us through his what? His dear son, through Jesus. And, and I think that we should let that sink in. Think about when God sent God. That's, I mean, the text says that God sent his son in the likeness of sinful flesh. This is God sending himself to us. From all eternity, the infinite, eternal, personal, holy creator has existed as father and son and spirit. And in the beginning, they were there. They said, let us make man in our own image. What could that possibly mean? It means that God has always had a son. 
He didn't create him in Luke chapter 2. The Son has always existed with the Father and the Spirit. These three are one. They existed before time began in eternity past. And this is the kind of mystery that makes Christmas really, I think, breathtaking. God has a Son. He has had a Son forever. The Son never came into being. He is not created. There is never a time in the infinite eternity past when He did not exist. The Apostle John helps us as our mouths are really just wide open with astonishment. He says this to us, What in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things, all things were made by Him. Who? By the Word, just like they were made with God. Just by the, when God opened His mouth, it was the Word. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is the Word, the Son of God. And we mark this moment when God sent God into the world with a celebration that we call Christmas. And we have one day a year to be still and know that from all eternity, God has had a perfect image of Himself, a perfect radiance of His glory, a perfect essence of His nature. As we hear Jesus' words, I and the Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus is God's translation of himself to us. Have you ever tried to speak to someone that you didn't speak to their their language? You didn't understand their culture? The words that they said made no sense to you? See, without Jesus, God makes no sense to us. Because we wouldn't understand God, and we wouldn't know God, and God translated himself to us in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. He became flesh, the Bible says, and dwelt among us. He is, as his name says, Emmanuel, which is interpreted what? God is with us. God with us. He dwelt among us. And and God sent God, the Word, God the Son, again to this tiny speck of human habitation called earth. And the foundations of what we know as Christmas and the Christmas story were laid. But not, not only is it amazing that God sent God, but Why did God send God? Why did God send himself? Why? Well, the answer uh, God himself gives, the one that we're captivated by when we read Romans 8, God has done what the law that was weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son. You know, that's Christmas. Romans 8.3 is Christmas. God sending his own son into the world because the law could not cause our sin to be forgiven. The law could not do it. The weakness of the flesh, our inabilities to save ourselves, to reconcile ourselves with God, no amount of religious action or good works or pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps, turning over new leaf, having new habits, trying to quit bad stuff and start, I mean, we're about to have New Year's resolutions and all those things. You know, no amount of all those things could make us right with God. They could not make us righteous in God's eyes. They could not abolish our sin. I mean, most of what religion teaches us is you got your bad stuff and you got your good stuff, and if you do enough good stuff, it outweighs your bad stuff, and then God will accept you. But the Bible says that we've all sinned, we fall short of the glory of God. In other words, when your sin is put in the balance with your own righteousness, your righteousness actually tips the balance towards your sin because all your righteousness is just filthy rags. 
All your own good works and actions apart from God mean nothing to God because they cannot reunite. You cannot undo the bad you've done by doing good. How many have ever tried to do that in your life? Man, it just takes one single selfish act to destroy everything, doesn't it? And sin, how many have found out that your sin weighs a lot more than your good works? I mean, there's just no way that we could ever present ourselves before God and say, God, accept me. Let me in your presence. You're a holy God and you're a just God and you judge sin and you're righteous and you're holy and you should just let me in because I've done X, Y, Z. I've done enough good things. God says, no, that was not possible. As a matter of fact, the law is just what I gave you to make you aware of your sinfulness. Because you just couldn't keep it. How many here have kept the Ten Commandments? None of us. I mean, we can't even keep ten, let alone hundreds of others that we see in the Scriptures. Some of us are so pious that we think, oh, I've done it, you know, I've kept it. I mean, you couldn't even do it for a day. Neither could I. You know, and, and the Bible says if we say we have no sin, we're a liar and the truth is not in us. As a matter of fact, no matter how much we try to dress ourselves up socially, and make ourselves acceptable to God. When Jesus looked at the religious elite of his day, what did he say? You're just painting your tombs white. You're trying to whitewash a tomb, but inside you're just dead. And he said, you've washed the outside of the cup, but the inside you've left dirty. And there's no way for you to clean the inside. Anybody want to drink from a cup today at Christmas dinner that was only washed on the outside? You know, we understand that inside we're just dead without Christ. And we think about what God did and why God sent God, why he became this flesh and dwelt among us by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Notice, and for sin. And here it comes. He condemned sin in the flesh. He lived a sinless life condemning sin fulfilling the law, and he could only do so because he was God, because only God could live sinlessly. God sent God as the God-man, the flesh God, to be, to be condemned in his mortal flesh, and the one who was condemned, and the one who condemned God was God. And God condemned sin in the death of the God-man, Jesus Christ. And Jesus didn't have any sin. Jesus was the one person in the world who didn't deserve to be condemned. When Pilate stood up and he washed his hands at the trial of Jesus, the mock trial, where they tried to try him for things over and over again, even the Roman uh, precept leader there washed his hands and said, I could find no fault in this man. You know, um, Chris Tice has accumulated almost... 42 years of sins, <laughs> thousands upon thousands of sins, any of which is offensive enough against the holy God to plunge me into eternal ruin. I do not stand a single chance on my own to be acquitted before a God of justice. The righteous law of God that I have broken hangs over my head like a curse. What hope is there for me? What hope is there for you? You know, in, in a very short time, I don't know when, but I will stand before God to give an account of my life. And what hope do I have? 
My hope is this, that I can be still and know the meaning of Christmas. God has done what the law, hanging over me like a curse, could not do. The law can't pay for my breaking of the law. So from all eternity, what? God planned to send God the Son, the God-man, so that in His mortal flesh, without any sins of His own at all, He might bear the condemnation that I deserve. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. Or to paraphrase Paul in Galatians 3.13, Christ became a curse for Christ's. Christ became a curse for you. Christ became a curse for us. And that brings me just lastly today to to how Christmas feels for me. When I stop and and when I pause, and I really meditate on this, and and I would encourage you at some point today, if it's not even in this own moment, for you to do the same thing. To pause on the reality of what this message is, this Christmas message. What does Christmas feel like for me? Well, for me, it feels like a man standing on the gallows with the rope around his neck. And the king's son steps forward and he takes the rope off my neck and he puts it on his own neck. And he looks me in the eye and just before he drops to his own death in my place, he says, I love you. I love you. Go show who I am to the world. What does Christmas feel like? It feels like a man drowning in the icy Atlantic after the sinking of the Titanic, desperate to be taken into a lifeboat but being refused. Why? Because there's no room in the lifeboat. It's full. And a man, the wealthiest, healthiest, most influential man on that ship, pulls me in as he jumps overboard to make room for me. And he looks up, and as I float away in safety, he says, I love you. What does Christmas feel like? It feels like I'm in a courtroom where my life hangs in the balance. The prosecuting attorney is the unassailable law of God. And the defense attorney does not exist because I am without excuse. There is no defense for me. It is manifest to everyone in the courtroom that all evidence is against me. And the judge, the son of the king of the realm, brings down the gavel and declares me guilty before him. I'm sentenced to die and to everlasting ruin. And as they leave the courtroom with me in bonds, the son judge follows me out, pulls me aside and says, I'm going to take your condemnation. You go now and show the wonder of this moment to the world. I love you. Boy, that's something to dwell on, isn't it? That's something to think about. What Christmas stands for is infinitely precious. I would simply plead with everyone listening today on this Christmas day, come to Jesus Christ this Christmas. If you will embrace Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as your own precious Savior, all that God is for you in Christ will be yours in Him. You will never have no condemnation, and it will be a very Merry Christmas. Go back to verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Boy, I was condemned, but I'm not anymore. That's what Christmas means to me. I'm no longer condemned, and I can never be condemned ever again. There is no condemnation for me because I'm in 
Christ Jesus. And the reason for that is because God sent His Son in flesh to die for for me to take my place. He was condemned in my place so that I could be reunited with Him. Boy, that's what Christmas means, friend. That's the true meaning of Christmas. That's why God sent His Son into the world. And, And I would tell you, it wouldn't matter if you got everything that you wanted around the tree tonight, I mean, today, any, anything that you could have imagined or desired if, if money was no object, you could get everything that you desire and still be left internally unsatisfied, unhappy. But if you have Jesus and nothing else, boy, you could have joy, true joy and satisfaction. If God has used this ministry in any way to be a blessing to you, please take a moment to send us an email to info at opendoornj.org. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online at opendoornj.org. Thanks for tuning in.